Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Telling the Story podcast. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and reporter at NBC in Atlanta. This podcast is all about developing your voice as a journalist and developing the skills to harness that voice. We've got a wallop of a voice coming to you in a minute. But first, a few requests. First, please subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher is the best podcast app I know. It keeps a playlist of your favorite shows and automatically updates with new episodes so you don't have to download them. Just download the Stitcher app and subscribe to the Telling the Story podcast. Second, rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you like what you're hearing and want others to hear it too, a kind rating on iTunes is the best way to boost us in the rankings and search. So I kindly encourage that. Finally, you can buy my book, The Solo Video Journalist, wherever fine books are sold. And now you can buy the second edition. It's a how-to guide for the most in-demand job in local TV news those who shoot and edit their own stories. We've got all new interviews and updates for the new edition. I'm already hearing some really nice feedback again. That's the solo video journalist on sale now. Now, I'm not quite sure how this guy didn't wind up in my book, but if there's a third edition, I would imagine he'll be on the short list. This man has one of the most fascinating jobs in local TV news, and I'll be honest with you, I don't quite know entirely what that job is. I do know that he goes around the country telling exquisite-looking stories for stations in the Scripps umbrella. We're going to dive into that life and also try to shave as many storytelling tips from him as we can because he's one of the most gifted storytellers I know. Thomas Hoppo, welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Oh, Matt, thanks for having me. Um, you know, can I start with the classic interviewee questions of, is this live? <laughs> uh, when, when can I... Uh, when will this air and where can I see it? <laughs> Great questions. Uh, no, it is not live. It'll be up Wednesday, two days from when we're doing this. And and obviously you can see it on the website, tellingthestoryblog.com. Of course, if you're listening to this now, you already know that. So uh, yes, please just skip, press the old skip button on your podcast you player, and we'll get to this part. Thomas, uh, great to go. talk with you, man. We've gotten to know each other quite a bit uh, in the last year. I asked you to speak at the NPPA Virtual Video Storytelling Workshop. Yeah. Uh, we connect on social media from time to time. I'm a huge fan. And and I'm going to start this with a very important question. What exactly do you do? <laughs> That's, that, is a, that is a question I get all the time. So, uh, what I actually do is I am a solo video journalist. Um, I work for EW Scripps and I provide content for the many stations that we own across the country in uh, about 42 markets. Um, and what I specialize in is um, our OTT platform, which is our streaming platform um, where you can watch it on Roku, Apple TV, on your phone, um, you know, and, uh, and I provide long form storytelling. Um, where it's uh, more docu-style storytelling, um, more in-depth storytelling and deep dives into stories maybe you might not see often on your local newscast. And so what I do is find stories across the country and find a way to make people connect with it who don't live there. So those are the stories that I'm always looking for, and those are the stories that I'm always trying to do. Um, and yeah, and I mean, I got a great gig. I get to go across the country, meet cool people, um, and tell tell their stories it's um it is quite you know the dream job and are you part of a, a bigger team there at scripts or, or how does that work is there a morning meeting like there would be at a typical news station 
Yes. So um, it's not necessarily a big team, right? We, we provide a lot of content and we provide um, newscasts on the streaming platform for all of our stations, right? Um, and you would think it is a it is a big team. However, we are we are not a big team. We we um, we're we're a very small team with a big job. And um, and so every morning we do have we have a morning meeting every morning. Um, what everybody's doing? Where is everybody at? Um, and and then we're we're on our way doing our stories. Over the past year, your job uh, has taken you to the Twin Cities after the death of George Floyd, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, just this past week, we were talking before we started recording. You were in New York City. Uh, covering various inauguration stories. Talk about when and how it's decided what you'll do and where you'll head and how much advance notice you receive when it involves traveling. I know you're based out of Denver, but obviously <laughs> there are no limits to where you'll go for a story. No, no, there's, there, there isn't any limits. Um, if the story is good enough and the story's worth it and we're passionate enough about it, we'll go. Um, as far as planning purposes, um, I'm always planning weeks uh, in advance. Um, you know, and I try to balance traveling and being home with the fiance, right? So um, I usually stick to, I travel one week, I'm home one week. I travel another week, I'm home one week. Uh, but as far as like when there's a big news event happening, let's say the inauguration, for instance, uh, you know, we were debating whether we were going to go to uh, go to D.C. To, to cover that or not. Our team was trying to decide whether we were going to do that. And also we have a national team as well that doesn't that doesn't necessarily contribute to uh, ott and the streaming but they do um stuff for the newscast um that uh that we have called the now that's national news um, on all of our scripts platforms um so we have to try to coordinate with them because they have a dc bureau and um so when it comes to planning for big events like the inauguration or the election we try to figure out where we're going to go and so for this one you know we didn't know what was going to happen uh, during the inauguration. Thankfully, everything was fine, right? But uh, but we wanted to strategically be in places that if something were to happen, we were close by, or we were in a city that something, maybe if something happened, we would be there. So I decided to go to New York, and I did a couple stories not related towards um, election or, or the inauguration or, or politics, um, but just to be in New York. And if anything was to happen, I'd, I'd, I'd uh, get on a train and go somewhere or something like that. Um, so I, I ended up doing um, a story on revitalizing Chinatown and then another story on a guy who created a business to wait in COVID vaccine lines for people that needed to wait. So um, that's what I was doing in New York. And um, and uh, thankfully, nothing happened. I, I didn't have to go anywhere or cover any bad news, as some people would say. And uh, you weren't on that trip by yourself. No, I wasn't. Um, usually I'm by myself most of the time. Most of the time I'm by myself. Um, uh, another other times I'm with my partner, uh, Drew Snadeke, uh photojournalist, who's a very, very talented photojournalist. And we've been working together since um, KMGH days in Denver. And we got on this job together. And um, and so me and him have been working together for so long that we we have developed a style and a relationship while we're shooting and and working together. So he was with me. Um, and so sometimes I do get a photographer, but most of the times I'm by myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, obviously you're, you know, you're going all over the place. You, I, I know whenever I talk about solo video journalism and I speak to younger ones who are getting started, I always try to impress upon them the importance of developing a system 
for all of your yes. stuff, like knowing where your gear is, keeping it in the same place, you know, yes. developing the same routines at the end of your shift, put the batteries on the charger, you know, just stuff like that. I would imagine for someone who is on the road as much as you are, that becomes even more important just to take that variable out of the equation and know where everything is because so much is going to be different from shoot to shoot based on where you are. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you said it, you said it right. You know, when I was in my local news days, um, I had a routine, I had a system. I knew where all my stuff was. I've applied that same system to what I'm doing. It's just on a bigger scale, right? I have more equipment. Uh, however, I'm still, you know, low profile. I'm, um, you know, working with Sony mirrorless cameras. Um, and so it's, it, it is less equipment, but it's also more equipment at the same time. It's a, it's a, it's a weird uh, dichotomy that way, but, um, but yeah, just practice as you play, you know, as that's what my mentor, Brett Akagi would always say, practice as you play. So while I was in local news, I would do the same thing with my equipment, put it in the same spot, charge my batteries at the end of the day. Um, and that's what I'm doing here. Um, except I'm on the road constantly and I have to keep track of all these little knickknacks that I have. And uh, it, it can be a little overwhelming, but because I've developed the system since the very start, um, when you get into these bigger jobs, you, you're not changing much from what you're doing. So if you're out there and you're listening to this, keep doing the same thing with your equipment and make sure your equipment's working and taking care of it and keeping that routine like Matt says. By the way, if you are listening to this and you have not seen Thomas's work, I invite you to check out the show notes for this episode and just watch because it is stunning visually. Uh, you mentioned this, you know, you're shooting with mirrorless cameras and not only that, it, it is of a different feel than what yeah. you normally see on local news. It's that, it's that docu style. And I'm curious, you know, I, and, and I can speak from a little experience on this kind of very gradually making those moves to the point where over about a four or five year period, I've, you know, I've gradually started using mirrorless gear more and more to the point where that's all that I use, um, you know, gradually doing more and more trackless pieces to the point now where I'm, I'm doing documentaries every year and I'm doing, uh, you know, plenty of pieces that are docu style, even if they're shorter. I'm curious, were you doing that kind of work at the local level before you made this jump? Or was that something you kind of had to, you know, cannonball into the water and, and just get started right away? No, that's a, that's a great question. By the way, yeah, I've been seeing your work and stuff like this. You're doing a great job at what you're doing. Um, and everybody finds their own way, right? And just like you, probably watching things and trying to mimic that and emulate it, right? And um, and eventually you, you grasp your, your style. Uh, what I was doing was um, I had been given uh, Sony a6300. So it's not a full frame, but it's still a mirrorless camera uh, from my fiance for uh, for Christmas. And because I got that, I was like, oh, maybe I want to get into stills. Um, maybe I want to, you know, get into more vloggy stuff, trying to do some things on the side. And I had started investing in that camera and buying equipment myself. And um, and I was using that in local news. At first, it started off with maybe just shooting an interview on that. And then one of my buddies, Andrew Bray, uh, a great photographer at KMGH, um, suggested, hey, man, you just need to dive head first and and just do a package, just do a whole, a full package on that, on that camera. And so I did. Um, so while I was at KMGH, um, you know, I, I started creating packages with this mirrorless look and, um, you know, it was a, it was a difficult thing to try. Like, do I, do I do it all on the sticks? 
because shooting mirrorless on the sticks is um, can be a little limited, right? And 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 when it comes down to it, these mirrorless cameras, these DSLR cameras, they're personal cameras. Uh, you need to get very personal with it and and get close. And um, and so I started going handheld within, trying to develop a style. Um, starting to watch more Daryl Barton uh, uh, pieces where he was you know, all handheld off the shoulder and, um, trying to develop the style that way. And, um, and so what I see a lot with people trying to evolve into that style, um, it's a very tempting style, right? It's a very like good look. You don't know why you like it, but it's probably because you're used to consuming that type of, that type of, uh, docu style via Netflix or Hulu or whatever. And you start falling in love with slow motion right and then you start doing over slow motion and like and i'm guilty of that like i was guilty of that in the very beginning just slow motion for no reason whatsoever just because it looks sick that's the only reason why i did it and so um so you have to develop a balance you have to figure out why am i doing this why am i doing slow motion? is it because it just looks cool um no like maybe not do that right and so you get carried away with it, but you develop a style. So I was doing that with KMGH and it slowly developed into interest of, of uh, my managers. My current managers wanted to bring me on onto this new project that, that hasn't been done before. And so, um, so, I mean, that's what, that's what led to that. This is the Telling the Story blog. I'm Matt Pearl. He's Thomas Hoppo, multimedia journalist for Scripps National. All right. Having established what you do and and the way in which you do it, let's dive into storytelling. There are a couple of projects of yours that I really want to get into here. And the first one is the assignment I mentioned earlier. You went to Minneapolis-St. Paul to cover mm-hmm. the death of George Floyd uh, and the aftermath of his death. You were in the middle of protests for several days. Let's talk, first of all, when you got that assignment, how did you prepare in all senses, in terms of your safety, in terms of your storytelling, in terms of what you would need to be able to produce the kind of work you wanted while having to constantly be on the move. And maybe even though you were on the road, you know, a lot of times I know when I'm on the road, I can still kind of have a place to stow my gear for a little while and and know where it's going to be. You didn't have that option in this case. So take me through your preparation for this assignment. So, you know, when it first happened, uh, my partner, Drew Snadigy, you know, he worked at WBFF, right, um, in Baltimore. And he said a lot of it was reminiscent of, of Freddie Gray right in the very beginning. And so Drew called me and was like, hey, man, we need to push to, to go to this. I feel like something big is going to happen. And I, and I agreed. So we had conversations with, uh, with our managers. And eventually, you know, they gave us the green light. Okay, you two can go in. Uh, we sent the team. It's me and him. And the two of our other, another photographer of ours and another MMJ of ours went and they were more reporting on the outskirts of everything. Um, so the way we prepared is how we prepare for, for every assignment. You know, we got our gear, we know what we're working with. We're very low profile and we're very, we're very light. Um, so in a sense of gear, we were prepared and because we're on the national team, uh, when it comes to safety equipment, we have all that stored away. You know, we got gas masks, we have canisters. And so we're, we're, we're prepared equipment wise. We're always prepared for that. Um, and then, you know, going into it, we were like, I think we're going to need a bodyguard. So we got a bodyguard that was going to meet us in, um, in, in Minneapolis. And so all that, all the logistics is prepared. Um, we just figured we drop in, um, 
you know, and some, some people in the industry call us, you know, parachute journalists, you know, you drop in and, and, and you just hit the ground running and you, you try to get what you can. The way we prepared for it though, was we were going to be there for f- possibly four days and we needed to turn. And here's, and this is a, this is kind of a side note, but a lot of people think we have a lot of time from, for our stories, you know, on the outside, they think we have all this time for stories um, and resources Resources are there, yes. Timing is not. Because while we are still doing docu-style and high-production value stories, we are doing them in a quick turn. So when we went down to, to Minneapolis, went up to Minneapolis, um, they told us that we need to do, we need to turn daily content. So we already had that in our heads, like, okay, we have to turn a, a story a day, a package a day, and we have to do it quick. And the easiest way, no, not easiest, easy is a bad term, but the most efficient way I told Drew is, man, I think we nap pack this whole thing. I think we nap pack it because we're trying to, we're trying to, you know, not put our voices on it, just put everybody else's voices that are out there. And, um, and Drew agreed. So we shot as a team and we were like, let's just nap pack this whole thing. Let's talk to the people down there. Let's have them tell the stories and we'll, we'll edit it together. We'll, We'll divide up the edit. So we had our we had our way that we were going to to execute it. The only thing is, is we don't know what we're going to get. Um, so each day was a different day, and we attacked it uh, in a different angle every day. The first day we were there it was over it was overnight, and and the National Guard came in, and everybody was going crazy and and rioting and and burning burning things down and getting gassed and getting shot at, and, and we just covered all that. And then the next day. We covered the aftermath of cleaning up. Everybody's cleaning up. So, and then the third day, there was another protest. Everybody got arrested by peacefully protesting. We covered that. And the fourth day, we wrapped it all up with um, a growing memorial and try to wrap it up that way. And we we stuck with the theme for for each day. And I think when you know learning from. Boyd Hooper and, and John Sharifi and the MPBA workshop in Oklahoma, it's find themes, find themes because people connect with themes. And so we found themes through each day and um, that helped us stay organized and that helped us stay focused. But we also needed to, to be flexible while we were there and not get locked in uh, on these on these certain themes and focus. So it's a it's a fine line that you that you walk when when you're covering those those um, those that spot news, basically. And when things are going into the night like that, what was your cutoff as far as a, here's when we got to break away and actually start editing, especially when, you know, the situation was so fluid. Right. So we, we had our cutoff of, we shot and we cut ourselves off two hours before deadline. So each one of those four stories, we edited in less than two hours. Wow. Um, so, and again, let me just cut, let me just cut in for one second to say that (laughs) again, if you have not watched these stories, watch them because it it is astounding to think, and I'm just learning now that those stories were, each of those were edited in under two hours because they are phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, So it's, and I don't check the show notes because that's where you can find the links to them. And I don't, I don't recommend, you know, people doing that unless you have a good partner and, and, and that relationship and that rapport and that experience, right? Yeah. You know, like for new journalists who are listening to this, who are maybe only a couple of years in the business, that is something that I wouldn't recommend yet. And I'd recommend building foundation first. And once you build that foundation, 
once you build that foundation, that storytelling foundation, then you can execute these, these last minute stories. Right. And, um, and so we edited, we cut ourselves off two hours before our deadline and <clears throat> Drew took the first edit. I took the second day edit. Um, he took the third day. I took the fourth day. Um, and so yeah, two hours was the cutoff and then let's put this together and, and send it off. And then, um, but because we have the same style and we, and we have the same execution together, we were able, if you watch all pieces together, we came with up with an idea of making it all fluid as if it was going to be one piece, but they were all standalone pieces. So there's a lot of things that go into it as we're going in. And, uh, and since we do a lot of things on the fly all the time, it's just practice as you play. Like I say, you know, practice as you play. And then we're able to do that in pressure. How close were the two of you to each other at any given time? Oh man. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because when I was first there, that was one of my first big, you know, protest and, and craziness. And, and, um, and at one point while I was in there, you know, I, I got scared at one point. I was like, oh man, like I can get arrested tonight. You know, I can get beat up by somebody who, who, who doesn't like journalists. I can, you know, it's like so many things had happened. And, um, and so it was, it was a little nerve wracking, but um, at the end of the day, like you shook that off and you stayed together as long as you were together, you know, it was fine. So we never strayed away from each other ever. Um, and like we, we stayed, we stuck together and our bodyguard kept eyes on us. And, um, but we were, we were together all the time. That's why when you watch it, you could see sequences because, um, Drew's on one one lens, I'm on another. If Drew's on a wide lens, I'm on a tight lens. If uh, if uh, he's on a tight lens, I'm on a wide lens. And we're constantly communicating and switching lenses as we're going and um, and sticking together. Because if you stick together, then you can sequence moments. And this is a place that's moment-filled, right? And so we were able to sequence everything together because we were together. Not only were we sticking together just for the story, but we were also sticking together for safety, right? And so... Um, and it, it and everything when we put it together cut like cut like cake pretty much. I think there are a couple of really good lessons there. One is that you know you had a very rare opportunity, right? You had two cameras at the same shoot, uh, and you could choose how to operate in that situation. And a lot of times, I think the the temptation is to split up, and you know, so you're in one area, and Drew is you know, maybe not far from you because of the situation, but maybe he's facing the other way and you're both just kind of getting what you can get. But the idea of essentially shooting similar moments with different lenses and, and, and being able to sequence that way, that is a really effective way to approach a situation like that. Um, and Absolutely. really, and, and, and also I think just a, a, a sign of you're in a situation that isn't familiar in a lot of ways. Again, not only are you covering protests and you're covering uh, a racial reckoning that was unfolding before our very eyes at that time, but you're also yeah. two cameras shooting one event in a situation you normally work by yourself. So there are all these variables and yet you talk it through and figure out, here's what our approach is going to be uh, really, really, really yeah. important. I think for anybody to learn, because you know, a lot of people, uh, I pretty much work on my own now, but, I've always shot my own stories, and in the rare cases where I have worked with photographers, I'm always offering to shoot video as well. And mm -hmm. the way that we then approach that as two cameras at one shoot makes us very powerful. And for you to, you know, not just rest on rest on your laurels and say, "Okay, Drew's here. I can, you know, 
I'll just hold a microphone. Yeah. And you yeah. know, instead you're doing your thing too. That gives you twice the camera power and, and I think makes your story stronger at the end. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and plus that guy always fires me up every time he's like, Oh man, no, don't worry. You know, I, I'm good enough for both of us. You know, you know sure. All right. Yeah. Okay, man. I'm gonna let's go ahead. Let's let's go toe to toe. Now nice. But it's uh but it's but it's also um quality over quantity, right? So if you, you go into an event and there's two shooters and, and, and you go into something, you can get one end, you can get another, you know, um, and, and you guys come together. What do you got? I got this. What do you got? I got this. Okay, cool. Let's put this together. You know, like that's, it's, uh, that's a, that's a very efficient way when you're trying to get it done quantity wise, but sticking together that that's where quality comes into play. Um, and that's where ego goes out the door, right? Ego for both of us. It's like, we are just shooting this story together as one team. And we are putting this together as one team. Um, so when it came to this, to 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 this protest, to 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 this historic event, or I don't know, I don't like to use the word event, but this historic moment, um, you know, we we set aside whatever ego that you might have, and it's like let's just do what's ever best for the story, and um, and let's who who's a better editor for this one? Okay, I'll get it done. Who's a better editor for this segment? You get it done. You know. And so um, when it comes to us, a, a lot of selfishness goes out the window and we um, and we are we are just trying to get this story done the best way we can in the most meaningful way um, that will impact everybody, because we're seeing all this on the ground. We want everybody else to see what we're seeing. You know, I mentioned you spoke at the NPPA virtual video storytelling workshop that I put on last mm -hmm. year and you were on a panel with Hope Ford, who's one of my colleagues in Atlanta, to discuss yeah this this story the aftermath of george floyd's death you were up in the twin cities she was covering protests in atlanta this was an absolute highlight of the workshop hope brought tremendous perspective on what it was like as both a journalist and a black woman to be in the middle of everything and that is a perspective that you or i no matter how we try can never fully understand or inhabit right and her testimony was absolutely moving but it still does not disqualify, it doesn't disqualify the work that you produced and the very real emotions that you conveyed just because right. you, you didn't have that lived in experience. You know, we're always going to be asked to cover stories and people who don't share our backgrounds and our experiences. I'm curious if you thought, you know, if during your preparation you came into this assignment, you recognized, you know, this is not going to mean to me what it means to the people all around me right now. And how does that affect what I'm going to do as a photojournalist right. and reporter? Right. Um, so that's kind of that's, that's kind of um, a great question that you asked because that was what Drew and I were talking about going into it. You know, um, and that is why you know even though even though I'm not black, uh, I am I am minority, but it I I've not experienced anything that 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 the black community has experienced. I've not experienced a lot of things that people that I do stories on, no matter what background they're from, I haven't experienced that. So while I'm, while I'm there on those stories, you know, I like to, I like to feel like I'm experiencing that with them as I'm, as I'm telling their stories. Right. Um, and listening to them and, 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 and giving them, I do a lot of perspective pieces, um, which was something that me and Drew, um, when we listened to your podcast with John Sharif and Joseph Huerta, uh, uh, Sharifi said perspective pieces. And we're like, yeah, dude, that's that's what we do. We do perspective pieces. And so going into 
going into Minneapolis. That's why we decided to do a NatPAC. That's why we decided to let the people there speak um, because it was more meaningful. And anything that I write, anything that I write cannot convey whatever they're going through. And, um, and that's why we kept it a natural sound piece. And that's why we, we got as we got as much emotion as we can out of everybody. And we didn't even honestly didn't even try. We just put the camera there and they were there, you know, people, people wanted to be heard and we, and we let them be heard. Thomas, the other project I wanted to discuss with you, and I appreciate your sincerity and your honesty on, on the George Floyd coverage, because again, truly moving and, I'll just say it again. If you haven't seen it, go to the show notes for this page and, and, and check it out because it, it, I think, you know, what we do so often is chronicle history and the way that the two of you did it, uh, just tremendous. So check that out if you haven't seen it yet. But the other project I wanted to discuss with you uh, goes off on a, on a slightly different path. And it's a recent yeah. one that you posted about called Guns Down, Gloves Up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is... Yeah. Uh, a mini doc, an extended nap pack. I'm not sure what you <laughs> exactly you <laughs> categorize it, but I, I was reading you posted about this, and apparently this is something you pulled off at the end of 2020 at a time yeah. when everybody, I'm sure, was exhausted, and oh, yeah. you went ahead and put together a 20 minute, uh, you know, beautiful. We'll call it a perspective piece. Take me through the pitch for this project, what it was about, first oh. of all, for for any who have not seen it how you sold this to your bosses and, and, and just what propelled you to do it and what you did. Oh man, that was a heavy lift. Um, so to give people some context uh, about my job is that yes, I, I travel a lot. Um, I have a quota of, of two stories a week. Um, and, uh, and I have to turn those fast. Right. And so you lose a day traveling. You know, honestly, you lose two days traveling for the most part. Right? And then you still got to turn these two pieces. By the way, real so, quick, how long are these pieces expected to be? Are these 90 seconds? Are these five minutes? Four to four to six minutes. Okay. Four to six pieces. So there's like, there's a lot of work, a lot of legwork that goes into it and, and a lot of planning, right? And so... Um, and that means also so, when you're traveling somewhere, you yes. are, you're shooting, you're traveling somewhere and you're shooting two stories. I'm shooting two stories. Yeah. 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 Every time, every time I go and I'm, I'm shooting two stories, I'm up late at night, you know, to make these deadlines. Um, and it's fun. All right. Like it's a lot of work, but it's fun, but I don't know. Not a lot of people know what goes into it. So that's, that's kind of a little look behind the curtain. Um, so, you know, end of the year, um, I had a goal of doing a special, a 30 minute special all on my own. Um, so usually I've done, I've pitched all my 30 minute doc specials. I've done them with Drew. Um, and, and we have a producer and we have a manager that signs off on it. The producer sets these deadlines and, and we, and we get it done. Right. And we collaborate with the producer. Um, this one though, I, I told my boss, I was like, Hey man, I want to, I want to do a 30 minute doc, 30 minute special, you know, which is four blocks by myself. Uh, no producers, no, no photographers, <clears throat> just me. And he was like, okay, yeah, if you want to do that, um, go for it. Let's, uh, let's uh, find the, find a story that you want to do pitch it to me and, and we can, and we can make that work. And this is a story that I've been following for like five years. You know, it's a YouTube channel called guns down gloves up or no, it's called street beefs. And it started from a campaign called guns down gloves up. And it was started by this man named Chris, uh, Christopher Wilmore. And he goes by the name of Scarface and he was in and out of the system, um, overcome drug addiction, um, and was overcome being in a bad place and decided to turn his life around and turn the life around of, of people just like him through fighting. 
you know, through, through, through backyard fighting. So on the outside, it looks like a backyard fight club. When you look deeper, it's more than that because it all started with the drug beef and these guys wanted to settle the beef in his backyard instead of shooting each other. He's like, yeah, go ahead, fight in my backyard. They fought in the backyard, they settled the beef and they went their separate ways. So Scarface decided to do that and keep that going because there's too much gun violence and too much, uh, too much gangs killing each other over petty little arguments. And so he created this backyard fight club called Street Beefs and made it a YouTube channel. And it has become so popular, so popular um, that it's, they got like 1.8 million subscribers. You know, it's so popular because you just think it's amateur fighting. But there's so much more. And that's like, that's what we do in our jobs, right? You, you see something on the surface, but you delve deeper into it. And um, and so I focus it around him and, and the fighters that, that he's helped turn their lives around and stuff. And and um, and the best way I thought to do it was as a, was as a third, as a 22, 30 minutes, uh, 22 minutes, 30 second nap pack and divide it up <laughs> into four blocks. It's because they had so much sound, so much sound, so many moments, so much visuals that, Man, like my voice is gonna is gonna ruin it. It's gonna ruin it, man. Like my writing's gonna ruin it. My writing sucks, which is why, which is why I uh, do a lot of sound, right? I have like small tracks. Here's a lot of sound because my uh, my writing's not that great, and it's just gonna it's just gonna muddy this up. And so, um, so I did this this thing at the end of the year as my last project, but you know, on like from what I'm telling you now, you might think I. That was all I worked on the last two weeks. Um, I was also turning separate stories uh, oh my that goodness. week as I put that together. So I had to turn two stories while I was shooting that. And I had to turn two stories while I was putting that together too. So I had a, I had a huge load on my plate. And the reason why is because it's the end of the year. Everybody's taking vacation, right? And so I'm like, you know, we're going to have to do this still. Are you down for that? I'm like, yeah, I guess. Here I go. And <laughs> so, so I was, I was in Virginia doing that, but I shot another story in Virginia while I was doing that. And then I had to bounce up to Connecticut and shoot a, shoot a story or two there in Connecticut and then bounce back home and rest for the weekend. I worked 11 days straight because I had to, I had to work that week. And then I had to work through the weekend in Virginia because they had a fight event on a Saturday. So I worked 11 days straight doing all this took a little break on the weekend that came and then finished it out two other stories and edited four blogs and put together a special for the end of the year. And, um, yeah, it was fun. I got it done. So, <laughs> you know, like it might not be the best thing. It might have not been the best, like uh, special, but man, I, I got it done. And that was like a badge of honor getting that done with all that. So, yeah, uh, but yeah, what a load, right? I'll but the, the story, the story in itself, his story is wild the Chris Chris's story is wild and 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 all the all the other fighters he has in his group have just such a such a such compelling stories you know I uh, it's it's so great I, I I've reached a point now I think as a as a dad with two daughters under three where I kind of live vicariously through these kinds of stories like what you just <laughs> told where it's like yeah you know the way I operate these days is very much it's like it's like the tortoise and the hare and I'm the tortoise. Like I've got to be, I, I, I can't do a whole lot. Cause I'm always also, you know, I'm, I'm a full-time dad and both girls are home. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I can only devote so many hours a day because literally all the other hours are going to the girls. 
And so like every day I just got to chip away and chip away. And so I love because, you know, those kinds of stories, what you just described is like that. That is what like what pre-parenting storytelling is like for me, too. It's like where you just get this thing in your head like, you know what? Yeah, I've got two stories to turn that I'm responsible for, but I think I can get this done in two weeks and you just get up for that challenge. And, and oh, it's, yeah. it's so invigorating to hear about that, Thomas. And I'm sure I will ask you this. And I, I think I think I know the answer. And I imagine people listening know the answer to this. But to do something like that, to jam a, a 30 minute special into two weeks on a topic like that, mm-hmm. you know, you could have done that anytime. You could have done yeah. that this month or next month or next year. What right. was it that made you feel like I need to do this story now and, you know, the the <laughs> sleepless nights and the consequences be damned, I'm going to do it. What what drew you to do that? Oh, man, just passion, dude, just excitement. Once I found out that he was having, what was it, December 5th? I think that was a Saturday. He's like, it's like, I, he's, he said, I have, I have, we have a fight event this, this day. And I was like, yeah, let's go, <laughs> you know? And so it's, I don't know. It's just a, a, an addiction, I guess, you know, it's not the best thing to say, but, but, um, but I just, I just love going to a new place, telling the story and the challenge of getting it done. And, um, and Drew will know this, you know, I call him all the time and complain, man, I got to do this. Oh my God, I got all this done. But like deep down inside, like, I'm like, I like it. If I get it done, it's like, it's a bragging rights thing. You know? <laughs> and like, and like a lot of times, I don't know if I'm going to get this done. You know, um, I don't know if anybody, if, I, if we got any big Harry Potter nerds listening. Um, but I always say this to my fiance and my mentor, Brett, um, that like, if you ever seen the third movie or read the third book, when Harry's trying to like cast a Patronus and he goes back in time and he's waiting for like his dad to cast that Patronus and his dad's not doing it. And he realizes it was him that did it. And he just did it. Here we go. And Hermione asks him like, how'd you do it? And he goes, I don't know. I already did it. So, so I, so I could do it. That's how I, that's like my mentality when I go into things, I know I got it done and I'm going to get it done. <laughs> and so I never, and I don't fail, I guess. And so it might not be the prettiest thing, but I got it done, man. And so, uh, so like what drives me to do that is I just, I love, I love telling stories. I love, like, I have a hunger to tell stories. And, um, and so, and now in the position that I'm in, you know, I always call my boss. I'm like, Hey man, I need another assignment. Where are we going? Where can I go? You know? Um, I'm like, I'm trying to do stories in Cuba right now. I'm trying to do stories outside of the country because I've done a few outside of the country. And, um, and I'm always itching for, for the next thing that to do. And, and, um, and it, and it stems from, it stems from the MPBA workshop where I would have small victories. Stan Heiss, um, with Sinclair would, would say, you know, have small victories, have small victories. And now that I'm at this stage, you know, in, in local news, I was always having small victories. I'm going to, I'm going to put a wireless log on this person and I'm going to get sound from far away. Right. Um, and those are small victories, right? And, I, and that's what I was always living for. But now that I'm in this position, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for big victories, big stories. And, and it becomes, becomes addicting almost. <laughs> and so it's, it's a, it's a fun gig and, and, 
and just telling stories in general, like the position that we're all in, right? Me, you, everybody else in this industry, just being able to, to document something is, is just so compelling and it's so meaningful and I learn something from it. And I think that's one of the biggest things is that I get to learn something from it. I get to get something new and, and, and be cultured from the people that I spoke with, no matter what side of the political spectrum they're on. So that's that's why I do it. That's why I love it. And so when I got this challenge of like, it's like I got this fight at this time and I'm like, man, I've been itching to do this story for a year. Let's go. Let's go do it. So that's why I did it. And it <laughs> stressed me out. And uh fiance was not too happy about it. I was gone for 11 days. Um, so you, there, there's that balance that, that you got to figure out. Right. And anybody starting in this industry and, you know, Matt, like anybody starting in this industry, trying to have a relationship can be tough. It does help, though, that she is also a reporter at Channel 7. So so she kind of gets it. Yes, that does help. <laughs> yeah, it helps quite a bit. So. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. He is Thomas Hoppo. Thomas, this final section uh, is specifically about advice for young journalists. And yeah. uh, first of all, what you just said, by the way, before we get too far from that, beautifully put. Um, and I, I think there is a passion that so many of us have where you know, yeah, you, you could have told the story years from now, but but you wanted to tell the story now. Yeah. And yeah. so you were going to do it. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, I would love to hear, and again, because I think a lot of folks who, who listen to this are in their first job, second job. How did yeah. you get started in this business and what, what brought you to it in the first place? It's perfect, man, because I, <clears throat> believe it or not, I was wanting to be, uh, I was wanting to be, a print journalist. So, um, yeah. So I was wanting to write for the paper, man. And, uh, so what turned me on to video journalism and, and, and broadcast news was, was my mentor, Brett Akagi. I met him at the university of Kansas, uh, at the J school there. And he was my, uh, he was a teacher. He was a professor there. And, um, he got me hooked because he showed me cause he worked at care 11. Um, he showed me a story that him and his team did, um, on the, on the Minnesota hockey team, the college team that, that won the national championship and then they, they rioted. Right. And I was like, Oh my God, what the hell is this? What is this? This is a, it was like a drug seeing it. I was like, Oh my God, this is, that is great. I want to do that. And so he brought me into his class and, and got me onto video journalism. And then what really hit it home for me. And I, and I recommend this to a lot of people um, because I'm an MPPA member, um, was the MPPA news video workshop in Oklahoma and meeting, meeting all those faculty members, seeing amazing stories. That's what got me hooked. And so I was like, I'm, I'm going to do this. Um, and so I started, uh, I worked at, uh, as an MMJ in El Paso, um, at KFOX 14 in El Paso. And then from there I got a job, um, in Denver, KMGH in Denver as being an MMJ. And so um, I got started by doing all that and learning my foundation uh, through through MPPA. So so what I do what I do recommend for everybody is is build a foundation, you know, learn to tell a story in a minute and fifteen, um, because if you can't tell a story in a minute and fifteen, you're not going to tell a story in six minutes. Um, you gotta you gotta walk before before you can run, right? And so I I, I really recommend these young journalists listening hone down on your minute 15 packages, minute 30 packages, tell a compelling story in that time frame, and practice that, keep doing that. And, um, and then slowly push the dial of, of, of trying to, um, of trying to tell longer stories. And then, um, 
also, you know, starting once you learn the rules of, of video storytelling, of video journalism, once you learn these rules, um, you know, wide, medium, tight, don't cross the access, all these things, once you're learning them, then break them. Because what I do, and I break the rules all the time. <laughs> and so <laughs> Matt, Matt, Matt's laughing because he knows I break the rules all the time. I'll have a jump cut in there, you know. Uh, but before all that, I wasn't breaking the rules. I was learning the rules. That way I can break them. That way I can break them with a purpose. And you know and why you break them too. You, you know why exactly. when you break them that it's getting the desired effect. Right. And so, and then that brings me to my next thing of trying something new, right? Um, like, yes, learn the rules, learn everything, like learn the, learn, learn the foundations of, of what makes a good story, learn all that. And then now I'm going to tell you, try something new. Um, and, but the thing is, don't be afraid to try something new. And that's what a lot of people I think in this industry are. They're afraid of trying something new and, 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 and afraid of the backlash from it. Um, I've taken my licks in the day of, I've broken the rules. I've, I've risked it and I've taken, I've taken a lot of hits from them. And I'm still taking hits today, you know, from, from people in the industry of like, Oh, that's, I don't know why he shot that or did it that way, you know, and it's, and it's fine. Uh, don't be afraid of that. Like be innovative, be something, do something new. Once you learn how to do what everybody else is doing, then do something different. You know, I uh, I will say to, to jump in on that, Thomas, I, I, I'm not sure who you're referring to as far as, you know, who you're kind of taking these hits from, but I will say that I, I think there is a lot of openness in newsrooms today, especially at the smaller markets where you can kind of have a lot more latitude to, take chances and try things that are a little different because you know there's there's those opportunities there and you know i know at my station i i you know we always encourage our reporters to try different ways of telling stories don't just do the the standard minute 15 or minute 30 and and so i I, like i said i'm not sure who you're referring to but i do think in terms of the managerial level i i do think that there might be more openness to that than some might expect Right. Yeah, there is there is a whole lot of openness. You're just going to have those few, you know, that are against it. And that's okay. It's okay if they're against it. And mostly some of the hits that I've taken from is from my own mentor, by the way, Brett. Brett always (laughs) hammers me, man. And it's great. I love that. I love that he hammers me. I have him. I talk to him pretty much every day. So that guy hammers me all the time because, you know, he's an MPPA faculty guru. You know, he, he knows what he's talking about. But the cool thing is, is that while he is, he's going to hate me that I call him a dinosaur, that I call him an old person. He's going to hate that. No, <laughs> probably not. He'll probably find that funny. But while he is, he is very, you know, he knows the foundations and he and he is um, and he comes from that background of storytelling. and He's an excellent storyteller. He still is very, very open to the new stuff. And he knows what's what's good and what's not good. And he knows a lot about the new style of things. And so it's great to be flexible like that. And so, so yeah, like my advice for young journalists is just do not be afraid to try something. You do not be afraid to go in and tell and tell a compelling story on a spot news piece, you know, and like just risk it, risk it once you've learned this foundation and, and try something new and, and that'll open doors and that'll open new techniques and that'll open new styles that you can incorporate. Maybe you're not going to use that every time, but you can incorporate that in your toolbox. And, um, and like, that's what I, that's what I'm still doing to this day. You know, I'm always trying to find something different. And, um, but if you're, if you are working with, with, with the mirrorless and you, and you love that docu look, do not get sucked into the slow-mo. 
<laughs> like I got sucked into this. Oh, wow. Coffee pouring in slow motion. That was sick. I'm going to put that in. Why though? So you're like, we're all guilty of it, man. We're all guilty of it. And, and, um, and it's okay. Cause you're, cause the, the cool thing about that is you're doing something different. Uh, Brett Akagi, I, I don't think you're a dinosaur, buddy. You know, I love you. Uh, I just want to know that only came from one of us on the podcast here. Um, <laughs> Hey, Thomas, before I let you go, there is one other thing I want yeah. to ask you about. And, and that is, you know, I think a lot of people who listen to this might, might, you know, flip to the show notes, watch your stuff and be like, oh, well, that looks amazing. But he's using mirrorless cameras. You know, mm -hmm. I'm using whatever they're given the MMJs at my station right, right now. And, and, and I think there is some truth to that. I think, like you said, there really is a dividing line. And I think if you know mm -hmm. how to mirrorless, use a mirrorless camera really, really well, you right. can really elevate the material. But the thing that yeah. I wanted to ask you about that really shines through in the work that I watch of yours is your audio. And that yes. I think is some, something where the playing field is a little more level. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, for, for those listening, what are the ways that you capture audio and what are, what is the checklist you go through in your mind on each shoot that you do? Oh man, audio, audio is what separates a good story from a great story, right? Audio we are more, I feel like we are more attuned in what hear what what sounds bad than what looks bad, in my opinion. And uh, and so audio is so key. And the person that that really hammered me on audio um, in in the business was Drew. You know, he's like, dude, your audio edits suck, man. Those audio edits are awful. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, teach me how to fix it. <laughs> you know, and so yeah, and so uh, so. From then on, I, I was real like editing audio is key. Bringing up gnats right before you hear it is key. That's a foreshadow on what you're about to see. And then capturing, capturing audio is 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 such a whole nother ball game, right? Um, I believe, I believe it was Jonathan Malott with Boyd Hooper cap capturing a clock gnat by putting his mic behind the clock or something. I believe I saw that. I believe it was Malott. I hope it was, and I hope I'm not insulting another another amazing photographer. But mining for sound is is one of the best things you can do on your packages, and that is what I was always doing in local news. Where can I put my lob to capture great sound? Let me put my lob in this trough where these where these pigs are eating, so I can capture that sound. Um, so there's a lot of ways that I'm trying to capture it. Now, what I use. Um, now in the field, I use a road shotgun mic that I bought myself because I know how great it is, right? I know how great that, uh, that audio is because I can cut out ambient noise. I can, I can get very directional with it and I'm able to, I'm able to, um, cut out noise from, from around me, like in the protest, if you watch that. Um, and so we're, we're always trying to find ways to capture audio. And so there's all these tricks and trades that you can learn of using your lob. And that's, that's what I learned the most because I had a terrible shotgun mic um, when I was working um, in Denver as an MMJ, like my shotgun mic was just not working well. So I, I got everything on my second lob and that's what helped me figure out how to get good sound, eating gnats, um, uh, people picking up maybe uh, the, the gas, the, the gas holster or whatever like that, like just putting my, my lob in different places to get great sound um, is so important. And that separates you from, from those, those subpar packages to these great packages of like, wow, they, they got, 
great nats and they edited those nats very well by using keyframes you know so using keyframes and capturing capturing audio is like is the biggest like pet peeve of mine is like i just need i need to have crisp audio otherwise i'm gonna go crazy so it's a it's it is one of the things that stands out not not from not talking about my packages, just packages I watch when I hear great audio. Like when I've watched a Matt Pearl package, I know that's good audio, you know? So it's uh, really focus on your audio, uh, young young people out there working. <laughs> focus on that audio. Like that is, that is, that is so key because there's nothing worse than, oh, what a, what a, what a great soundbite. And it was super far away and, and echoey, right? So yeah. Focus on that. Thank you for the kind words, by the way. And I, I can say since the pandemic, that has become my biggest challenge now that uh, I'm, I'm not sure how right. it works for you. I, I get the feeling you have a little more latitude than I do, but uh, we yes. do not use lav mics uh, anymore. Right. So, yeah, I'm using a roadie road mic and, uh, and, and trying to do everything I can with that. But, you know, I, I think that was a lesson that, that I'll impart is just I think, you know, once that limit was placed on me, I immediately tried to figure out, okay, what am I going to do to get it back? You know, it was never an option to not have high quality audio. The option then became, okay, how am I going to replicate what I was doing? And then it was just a matter of, you know, asking around, asking my chief photographers and, and that wound up leading to some pretty good solutions. So I I think that's part of it too, is just setting that standard for yourself. I got a good recommendation too of like the the mic that I use the shotgun mic that I use is the Rode Mic Pro Plus like plus, and that one like I'm hardly using my lab these days too. Um, I'm able to get these interviews. I mean, you saw in the, in the Minneapolis, no lab was ever used. That was all shotgun. Mm-hmm. That was all shotgun. And uh, with this mic, I'm looking at it right now. With this mic, you guys can't see me. I'm like pointing at it. Uh, this mic is. Uh, <laughs> I literally <laughs> can't mic, see it. Yeah, but this mic is is amazing. It could cut out certain decibels, so you can so you can get just that person talking and not hear car background noise. And is that and something so, that you do in post with the microphone, or is that something you set before you shoot? Most of my stuff you see and hear all in the field, all in the field. Um, everything I do, if I can do it in the field, I'm going to do that. Now there are times where I messed up in the field and I hear this beeping in the background. And I'm able to cut out that beeping in post kind of not great but kind of but had i been paying attention and had i had my headphones plugged in all the way and not be a rookie and not plug in my headphones all the way i would have heard <laughs> and so uh but uh but yeah it's like if you do your research and if it's worth it to you you know if it's worth it to you to buy it buy it it's an investment in your career it's an investment um in in, in your product and um and I mean, if you can try to get your station to get it for you, obviously try that route. But, you know, budget's tight now. Budget's tight for all of us during COVID. But if it's worth it to you, if you really want to elevate it and if you want to spend that money on it, I do think it's worth it because I I bought a lot of my own equipment in Denver before I got into this job. And I still use that equipment on this job. And um, But I look at it as as an investment in yourself and in your product. If, If you think it's worth it, if you want to, you know, we've all we've all kind of been there, Matt, where we've done stories on our own time, um, you know, like because we were really passionate about it. I'm like, I'm just going to go do that story. So there are certain things where, you know, you're, you're mostly doing it for yourself. And if you guys think it's worth it, um, you know, buy some of that equipment for yourself. But also make sure you're researching it and looking, 
I watched a ton of reviews and researched it well before I pulled the trigger on it. So obviously do that. But audio, audio is audio's king. Like I, I love audio over the visuals every time. Last thing I'm going to hit you with before I let you go. Give yeah. me three things. They can be movies. They can be docs. They can be stories. Three things you watched recently, let's say in the last year, that yeah. have inspired you and affected the way that you do your job? So one of the main things that I that I watch all the time and I rewatch all the time um, is Anthony Bourdain Parts Unknown. So that is like kind of what me and Drew do in the first place. You know, go somewhere, tell a story, delve in, get these characters to really show us the environment. So Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown, that has uh all those episodes just inspired me i'm like i'm gonna copy that show i'm gonna try to do that shot you know i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna try to write like that you know when i'm in when i'm in um when i'm in a certain place so that has really really affected uh my storytelling like phenomenally uh number two thing that i recently watched that i that i that i love uh the lighthouse um with robert pattinson and, and william defoe that, huh. cinemat- that cinematography is amazing. I don't know if anybody's ever watched it. Watch that movie uh, if you're really into cinematography. Um, that that has um, that has that movie is amazing. I, have you seen it? Have you not? I haven't, it? but I'm I'm googling it as we speak. Nice. Yeah that that was a good one. And then there was um, there was another doc that I recently watched that uh, that I was like I I think I can. I can kind of try to try to try to copy some techniques from that, uh, which was don't F with cats. Don't F with cats on Netflix. I've heard and, about this too. Uh, the only reason why I, I like, it's a very, it's a good documentary. It's very enticing. And the way they structure it is, 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 uh, is amazing. Right. And the only reason why um, that one stuck with me was because of the screen recordings they did and the Nat sounds with the, ta- uh, the typing and how they did a lot of it. Um, on social media screens on the computer. Um, that was a good way, which was perfect for me to watch that right before COVID. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that like, oh, I'm going to copy some of those techniques. And that's what, that's, that's what this business is all about. Everybody is, is emulating, right? <laughs> Seeing somebody do something and, and then emulating it and then trying to make it your own. So, you know, there's no shame in seeing that and like, I'm going to try that, you know, and that's what I did with, um, with all those things with, and especially with Bourdain parts unknown, you guys watch that. He's, he's a genius and, and his, and his crew, his crew is amazing. Like, you know, there's, their cinematography is amazing. And, um, and so, yeah, I highly recommend watching any one of those. If you, if you guys can love it, Thomas, uh, I'm going to ask you the question. You probably ask so many people, uh, on a given week, on a given year, is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add? No, man. No, I'm, uh, I'm good. Um, We've been going for most, an hour, so. I know. This is the most, like, I've ever spoken, like, on a recording thing. And I, like, and I'm going to get so much, so much crap from Drew. He's like, dude, will you just shut up now and just let Matt talk? I know that. <laughs> I hear it. You so, will not no, get any good, such crap from me. I've, I've very yeah. much enjoyed this. <laughs> Thomas Hoppo, thanks so much for joining me Thank on you the for having Story me. Podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Matt. And take care. And take care of the kids. I don't know if you heard the knocking on the door a few minutes ago, but that was one of them.
Yeah, for sure. I did, actually. I did. And the Telling the Story blog updates every Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe on Stitcher Smart Radio. And check out my book, The Solo Video Journalist, Second Edition. Thank you to Jazar for the theme music. Thanks to Thomas Hoppo for joining me as my guest. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.